Well, good evening. Welcome to Ice Mageddon, right? Hey, I want to thank you for being with us. And if you are part of our fellowship family, welcome. And if you have joined us for worship because of the inclement weather that's coming overnight and for tomorrow, we're so glad that you're here. We serve one risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And so um, you are all welcome and we're thankful that you're here. Uh, before we get started, there is a special young man on my heart tonight. His nev- name is Evan Frank. And Evan right now is in the fight for his life at Children's Mercy. He's, uh, I think, around six years old. He has Down syndrome, but he has contracted a very dangerous infection. And so uh, the parents are concerned. The doctors are doing everything that they can And while we could spend the entire evening praying for everyone and who you know and who's in your family and all the circumstances, we're going to pray for Evan, okay? So would you join me as we call for God to heal this boy? Would you pray? Our Father, we come to you in humility. We recognize that we are so frail. And Lord, it moves our hearts when there is uh, the youngest among us who suffers. So, Lord, we lift up Evan Frank before you. He is your son. He is your child. And, Lord, you know everything about his body. And you know everything he's facing. And we pray, Lord, that you would just pull this infection out of him. And, Lord, that he would be healthy and well. Lord, we pray for your spirit of healing and comfort to come over his parents, Lord, that they would not be afraid, but they would trust in you. Lord, I pray that everyone who interacts with him and who interacts with the parents would see Jesus. And Lord, may you make yourself known as they uh, cling to their faith. And I know, Lord, that they're crying out to you and uh, many are lifting them up. Lord, in this room, there are those who are also suffering and those who have loved ones who are facing unknown illnesses. And and, uh, Lord, we just ask uh, for you to, to be at work in all those situations. Bring your healing, Lord. And God, through suffering, may you prove yourself faithful and may you draw people close to you in spite of the hardship they're facing. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you're good to us. Uh, Regardless of what we do or don't do, uh, you remain good. You are a good, good father. And we come to you in confidence. In Jesus' name, amen. So I have a question for you as we get started, and that is... Do you ever get in your own way? Just before this service, I was speaking and I bit myself. I mean, how do you do that? I can understand chewing food and things, but just talking and like blood, it was, it was, it was not good. I get in my own way all the time. I dropped a napkin at the dinner table this past week, bent over simply to pick it up, ran my head right into the corner of the chair, left a wonderful red spot on my forehead for at least two days, which my family found very humorous. (laughs) I loved being able to be laughed at at my own expense. We get in our own way, and and I don't just mean like through mistakes or accidents or tripping over our own feet or anything like that. I mean, uh, we get in the way of the kind of life that we want. One of the discoveries I've kind of made about myself is what my tendency is when I'm stressed. Usually, 
When I'm not stressed, I'm very playful, happy-go-lucky. I want to make sure everyone's uh, feeling good, having a good time. But when I'm stressed and I feel under the gun, I become very perfectionistic. Do you know anyone like this? Yeah, don't point fingers. Uh, I can only point fingers at myself. And, and when I'm stressed, I need everything to be just, just so. And I want to be clearly understood. And if I'm not clearly understood, I get very short and very critical. And really, uh, you guys don't get to see that, right? Um, except maybe if you're on my ministry team, but uh, my family does. And they can be on the other end of me nitpicking how things are said or not said or, or done or not done. And I get in my own way of the kind of man I want to be. I can easily make my schedule about me, my stuff, my meetings, rather than being concerned about what those around me have going on. We get in our own way. And that's because uh, there's a common element that we have in this room, and, and it's a problem. And we're full of ourselves. Welcome to Fellowship Bible Church. You are full of yourself. <laughs> that is true. We wake up every day with the reality that uh, our hearts want us to be at the forefront, at the center. We're concerned about what we face, how we feel. We love ourselves. Being full of ourselves, Scripture calls it sin. It's where we believe a lie that there that we can build or form our own little kingdom and have things on our terms and seek our own riches and and to develop a a, uh, a worldview that is built around us and our greatness. We love us some us. The problem with that is it leaves us empty, doesn't it? We're not the answer for our our heart's longing. And so typically the way that people deal with emptiness is they just try harder. They expend more effort. In fact, I came across this quote by Alfred Edersheim, which says, Every moral system is a road which by self-denial, discipline, and effort... Men seek to reach the goal. They work up to the goal of becoming the children of the kingdom. This is what a moral system is all about. It's about doing the right things in the right order so that you can get the right outcomes. And, and this works um, in process development and things like that. You do the right thing in the right order and you get the right outcome. However, for the human heart that's looking for fulfillment that's trying to find a way out of our common problem that we are full of ourselves and it leads to emptiness, personal effort doesn't work. The first couple God created was a man named Adam and Eve. They had life at their fingertips. They had everything that, that they could ever want. 
God told them that they could eat from any tree in the Garden of Eden. They just needed to stay away from one. And that was the very tree that uh, Satan came in the form of a serpent and deceived them. But what was the deception? The deception was that God had lied to them and that they could be more than what they were. They could become like him. Ooh. All they needed to do was to contradict God's truth, take the fruit, eat it. You won't die. You'll become more like God than you could ever imagine. And so they took the fruit and they ate it. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, it says, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Before that, they, they weren't aware of their shame, their nakedness, their exposure before God until they sinned. And then they saw their own condition. And so what did they do? Well, first they hid from God and they took fig leaves to try to make coverings for themselves out of their own hands. They took on their own effort to try to cover up who they really had become. And that is every moral system man has ever formulated. Every religious system is based around a set of principles that if you walk in them, then you may someday attain enlightenment or you may reach the goal of perfection. You just got to keep trying. You got to sew your fig leaves together. So we try and we try and we try. But it doesn't work. It leaves us longing and no amount of effort will ever fix the problem of our human heart. Thousands of years have transpired since Adam and Eve, but we still have the same issue of being full of ourselves and it can leave us so empty. And the temptation is, is that we must do something to fix it. In this message series, we're talking about the way of life, the way of life that Jesus brings us into. And there is a different way. There's a different way than human effort for us to walk in. There's a difference There is a difference. I go back to Alfred Edersheim who says this. He says, it's Christ who makes men children of the kingdom freely and of his grace. And this is the kingdom. What the others labor for, Jesus gives. They begin demanding he by bestowing because he brings good tidings of forgiveness and mercy. In any moral or religious system, there's going to be a prescription to follow. And if you just try hard enough, maybe you'll get in. Or maybe you die and become something else. And that takes you a little closer. But not so with Christ. Look at this passage, Isaiah 61, 10. 
Now, Isaiah 61, when we get into the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, this, most scholars really believe that this is the, this is the passage that kind of undergirds Jesus' teaching. But Isaiah writes in 61, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. I had this sweet robe, but I forgot to grab it. And I was going to put it on. But if you could imagine the putting on of a robe... What Isaiah prophesied, Jesus fulfilled. It says that he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. It means that there was effort done by Jesus for us. The image is that all that he has accomplished accomplished is symbolized in a robe That is a robe of salvation and rightness with God, and he has put it on us. He didn't say, if you can just climb to the ladder rung 46 of righteousness, then you can get your robe. He gives it to us freely, and it's a symbol of access into his kingdom. But God has been doing this from the beginning. If we go back to Adam and Eve and what God was doing with them, at the end of Genesis 3, verse 21, it says, Then the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. For God to make a garment of skin, an animal had to have lost its life. And God clothed them in something they could not do for themselves. Something better than hand-sewn fig leaves. And he did it by his grace. He did it by his grace. See, that's the difference. That's the difference between trying to overcome our sin by effort or trusting in the work of of Christ. We have God's riches at Christ's expense. There are things that we believe that we want, but then there's the life that God offers and the kingdom that he has for us, and it's beyond anything that we could understand or imagine. And he has provided it freely to us, but it came at a great cost to his son Jesus. God's riches at Christ's expense. It's unmerited. There's nothing you have to do to get it. Jesus died on the cross for your sin. And he rose from the dead to give you access by faith to everything that he has to offer. The way of life in Christ is beginning with the understanding that, that the Christian life will never be about earning anything with God. It will be walking with the one who earned it all. It will be walking with Jesus, seeking to be like him, not for the purpose of becoming greater, but because he has already brought us in. So out of gratitude and love, we try to look like him. 
And this is what brings us to Matthew chapter 5. And I'd like to ask that you would turn with me to Matthew 5. If you don't have a, a, a Bible with you, we, we have Bibles. They're along the side walls here in this room. You can get up from your seat and go and get a Bible. I'd love for you to have God's Word in front of you. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, looking at verses 3 through 12. Jesus is about to begin an incredible sermon that's called the Sermon on the Mount. The way the book of Matthew is structured is that there are, there's a season where Jesus does works and then he shares his words. He does this five times in the Gospel of Matthew. He gives his works, then his words, and that's the cycle. What we're in here is Jesus has just done his first works. He's been born. He's challenged the, uh, the uh, religious leaders as a boy in the temple. He has grown into manhood. He has submitted himself to baptism. He has been tempted by Satan in the wilderness. He's called his 12 disciples by name and he's begun his ministry. And all of those things have, have occurred in Matthew chapter 1 through 4. And those, that's the first section of his works. Now we enter into his words. This is the first of five cycles where Matthew presents Jesus as the king of kings. So Jesus' theme in his teaching will be the kingdom of heaven. Matthew is presenting Jesus as the king of kings, and so the focus of his teaching is the kingdom of heaven. These are the opening words of Christ, and we call them the Beatitudes. Now we're going to see a word repeated over and over and over, and it's the word blessed or blessed. And we need to understand what that means because it has a, a, a meaning that's broader than happy. And some of you have an English translation that will say, happy are those who. And that's okay. The meaning of the word happiness is found within blessed. But this is set in kingdom language. We are blessed because we receive the promises of God that started back with Adam and Eve, and through Abraham and his lineage, God promised an eternal kingdom for his people. And we get to enter into that. That means we're blessed. That means we have God's riches at Christ's expense. And we didn't have to earn it. That's what it means to be blessed. We have God's favor. So let's look at these verses together. Matthew 5 verse 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. What I want you to notice is in verse 3, with this blessing, there is the word is. In 4 through 6, there's a promise of shall be. We live currently in the kingdom of God. But it is not at its full state of completion. So we can enter in through Christ and there are rewards to be found in following him now... But then there are promises of what's to come. 
And here's how Jesus begins. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So now we have to define another term. What does poor in spirit mean? In Jesus' audience, he was in the northern area of, uh, of Palestine at that time, around the Sea of Galilee. And those who lived in this area, they were away from Jerusalem, away from the, the center of their culture. They were in largely Gentile or Roman-controlled areas. These were some of the most oppressed and set-aside people in that area. The Pharisees have propped themselves up because of their efforts. They had bought into a moral system that if they could show their personal righteousness, that they would have a greater part of the kingdom of God than lowly sinners. And Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who understand that they are in poverty, both physically and, I believe, spiritually. People who know they are in great need. I personally witnessed worship in Kampala, Uganda, where men and women had far less than what we had. And a worship night there in that setting was like nothing I had ever seen. They worshiped God with reckless abandon. It was loud. It was demonstrative. And it doesn't mean that if you raise your hands, you're more spiritual than anyone else. I'm just saying these people had nothing. They were poor. They had nothing. And they said, you are everything. You are all that we have. And we will sing out our heart to you. Because that's it. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who have a mindset that without Jesus, we are nothing. We have nothing to bring to the table. Who possesses the kingdom of God? It's those who understand their need. Their need is Jesus. Blessed are those who mourn. This idea of mourning is is not simply just sadness over, over your own condition or for the loss of a friend, but over injustice. This world, this kingdom of this world is not what God intends for it to be. We should look around our culture and go, this is not how it's supposed to be. And it should move us to mourn and weep. And there's a promise that there will be comfort. Blessed are the meek. These are people who are willingly submitting themselves, even though they may have capabilities of their own. Meek does not mean weak. Meek means I'm capable, but I will yield. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. In verse 6, and then we'll find in verse 10, righteousness is at the heart of what Jesus is calling them into. Righteousness through him. People who have nothing long for something. 
And Jesus is the, that answer for our soul. So are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Do you go, I want to know him. I want a way out of being full of myself. I'm tired of loving me some me. Because I get it in my own way and it leaves me empty and I need something better, something that will actually work. Verse 7, it says, blessed are the merciful. So the first list of 3 through 6 is really more about the character within a follower of Christ. That they mourn, that they, that they, um, that they are poor in spirit, that they're meek, that they hunger for righteousness. This next set is more about what they demonstrate. What a follower of Christ, what comes from their life? Well, mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You can see the first three give a promise of what will come as a reward for faithful living. Verse 10 reminds them what they have already. A couple of comments. I probably struggle the most recently with being merciful. Um, I think it can go along with being stressed and perfectionistic. Do you get easily bothered? Instead of showing patient understanding and giving mercy to others. Jesus calls us into that and there's a promise. We shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. We seek after purity. Blessed are the peacemakers. This is the only time in the New Testament that peacemakers is used like this. People who are willing to to come between uh, others to help mend fences. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. So verse 10 uh, tells us that uh, the way of life that Jesus calls us into is countercultural, and people will stand against it. The Pharisees certainly did. They stood against Christ. But there's a promise. Ours is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11 and 12, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is Jesus telling those who... So this crowd is interesting. There are people who who are beginning to show faith in Jesus. They don't fully understand who he is, but the the disciples have said, yes, we're going to leave everything behind. We're going to follow you. There was a large crowd that were very curious about him. They wanted to know, who is this man? What is he saying? We're We're going to watch him closely. And then there were others who were against him. And Jesus is calling those who would follow him in faith and letting them know that there will be others in the crowd who will stand against the work of God in their lives. A couple of insights from here. Apart from Christ, we are in spiritual poverty. We are in spiritual poverty. We've established that it is a common problem. We're full of ourselves and it leaves us empty. And the way out is not human effort. It is trusting in the work of Jesus for us because in Christ we have God's riches God's riches at Christ's expense. In him we find purpose and fulfillment. 
both now and in the future. Some of you need to be reminded about what's coming so that you can hang on in the midst of what you're experiencing now. Our circumstances can really shake us up. And we can question whether or not God's promises will stand. But they will because they've been secured for us by the one who could not fail, Jesus Christ himself. There's an underlying theme to all of the Beatitudes, and it's humility. This is the key characteristic trait that the Beatitudes call us into. If you're going to have an attitude, have one of humility. Have one of humility. Jesus is our example and our model in this. We see in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, this is what it says. It says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to also to the interests of others. Have this mind, this mindset among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The one who was truly full of himself. He was fully God. He emptied himself to come into our condition to give his life for us so that we could put on the garments of salvation and we can wear the robe of righteousness. There's nothing left to do. But trust in what has been accomplished for you through Jesus Christ. So humility is the point. And with each of these messages through this series, The Way of Life, We have this icon that is this waypoint that we are traveling toward, that truth that we need to be reminded that Jesus has called us into a way of life. And the central truth for this week is that God's riches shine brightest in my poverty. God's riches shine brightest in my poverty. This is another word for humility. Where we recognize that God has accomplished everything for me. Jesus has provided the way of life and I can walk in it because I have been robed in rightness with God. And I can walk and travel with him and I can follow him closely and I can demonstrate mercy I can be pure of heart. But it takes a daily surrender to the Lord. A humility to go, if I didn't have Jesus, 
I got nothing. Last week, Joe talked about listening to God and that God will speak to us when we open up his word and he gave a practice of read, examine, apply, and pray. And I just want to take that last category of prayer. Because if you want to walk in humility, it's going to demand that you yield yourself to the Lord. And there's a practice that we can enter into where we simply confess our need to the Lord. God, I need you for my next breath. I need your wisdom to parent a 13 and a half year old girl. Lord God, please. I don't have the wisdom in and of myself to do that. Lord, without you, apart from you, I'm nothing. When confession, the confession of sin of God, I nitpick my family when I'm stressed. It does not communicate mercy. It does not communicate love. It communicates they're in the way. The practice of confession in the life of a believer is the, is the way to humility. May this attitude, which was modeled for us in Christ Jesus, be what draws us that we would not consider others or ourselves better than anyone else. We would consider them more significant than ourselves. That we would be poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for the truth of your word. Lord Jesus, thank you for opening the way of life for us. We don't have to earn or merit anything with you. Thank you for clothing us in righteousness and salvation by a simple faith. And Lord, if there are any who are worn out from just trying to fix themselves, Lord, may they surrender and understand that they can believe that you are the Son of God, Lord Jesus. You gave your life on the cross and you rose from the dead and you gave victory then over sin. The ultimate end, the ultimate end of a life full of yourself and emptiness is eternal condemnation away from God. And Lord, may that never be for anyone in this place. May they all all of us find the salvation that is offered to us through Jesus Christ by his work alone. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.